if you look at my documentary, The American Dream, you know, I go back and I see schools in Akron and you, you'll see me talking to some of the kids. And, and basically what I'm telling them is, you know, I do that because I need them to understand. Like, I, you know, I, I dealt with this very tough. Like, you know, me being a, a person who had a mom, a dad, uh, and is college educated. When I got laid off of work, before I decided to go to broadcasting school. The reason I took it so hard was because I am the, for me, I am the representation of a person who had all of the right things happen. Willie was hoping I, I was going to forget, but I didn't <laughs> forget. We got a tradition here on the Black Culture Podcast where we like to toast it up. And I told you tonight, you choosing what we get to toast to. Well, listen, man. Hold, hold on. First of all, just pause. pause. He, 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 hold on. Hold on. Let me get my let me get my situation. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Keep that running. Go ahead, man. Get it together, man. G. Bush has left. He is currently he left the room. situation together. He went to the store. <laughs> Going to the corner store real yeah. quick. Right, right. He had he had to he had to grab something real quick. <laughs> It looked like he in New York, too, by the way, in his background, man. I ain't got much, but I do got something. In, in, I got I got a little something in, in, in my in my water bottle. I, you know, I okay. take a little something. I'll take some. I want to toast, uh, you know, to three brothers supporting each other. That's what I want to. So yeah, that's I like what that. I want to toast to. You know, it's a lot of people I'd be out here. You know, it's a lot of things going on socially and people just got a lot of questions and a lot of things that they're going to put on the internet and everybody is rah, rah, rah. But listen, when it comes time to do something, it's, oh, I can't even really do that. Or I got to go do this too. Or mm, I don't even know if I can do that. It's very few people that uh, support people and you're just trying to support and see them do good. So here's cheers to three brothers trying to be entrepreneurs, supporting each other and just chopping it up. And, and, and here's to um, you guys prospering and being healthy moving forward. Toast yes, it up. There we go. Yes, indeed. All right. Yes, so, so listen, man, listen, listen, listen. We got, we got one of my favorites tonight on the Black Culture Podcast. Listen, the word on the street is he's a Canton McKinley legend, but we're going to get into that story later. That's, that's the word on the street. Ohio University, right? 92.3, the fan, right, host of the right. Barbershop, Kesho okay. airs every Saturday, 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. noon. He's also the host of the Browns tailgate show, right? Mm-hmm. So listen, man, listen, I'm going to let's just a PSA. If you looking for a, like a show that's not going to keep it real, that's just going to pity pat, this ain't going to be the show for you because, you know, we don't do that on here anyway, but this dude is a dude that's going to keep it real. He going to just straight talk tonight, man. So listen, the Black Culture Podcast is about to take you on a culture journey, but we're going to stop at the barbershop first. G. Bush, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, man? That intro was fire. I'm going to need to go ahead and uh, record that. Can I get you on uh, <laughs> record that so I can just play that back? Anytime my girl tripping, I could just play that. It's <laughs> not what they're saying. You hear this? No, nah, man. But I man, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um. You know, uh, you know, I've been watching and listening to your content. And I, I mean, I just love the fact that it's, you know, it's about culture. It's about other things. And 
And so I, I like uh, to have an opportunity to talk about a wide variety of things. And, and when you see the barbershop, it says it's about sports, music, and culture. And sometimes in sports, people can tell you, eh, we don't want to hear too much about the culture. We don't want to hear too much about the music unless it's just the music that we can identify with. And so, um, you know, I, I'm definitely uh, for coming in and, and hollering at you brothers because, man, I, I was looking forward to this one because I think it's going to be a great conversation. Absolutely, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for the audience who might not know, I want you to give them a little backstory on who is Garrett Bush, um, you know, former former athlete. Can't believe you went to Kent McKinley, man. That's that's going to be a story for another day. But <laughs> anywho, um, just fill them in on uh, who you are, your, your background and what it is exactly that you do for the culture. Um, you know, uh, my name is Garrett Bush, I'm 39 years old. I'll be throwing it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I'm 39. Um, I'll be hating when people just be like, I'm 24. Nah, bro. Put your, put your regular age out there, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, um, former football player, played basketball, played baseball at Camp McKinley, um, graduated there, um, was able to, to earn an athletic scholarship um, after winning a couple championships for McKinley, went to Ohio University, um, played football there, um, and then graduated there in 2006. Um, after college, uh, wanted to figure out what, what I wanted to do and and kind of like yourself, I thought I want to be, you know, going to financial planning, financial advising, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, found out that that wasn't what I wanted to do, partly because it was during the financial uh, stock market and the housing crisis. And so people wasn't making no money about 2007, 2008, especially when you're doing 75 percent um, commission. So came back to Ohio um, during that process. Man, I really fe fell in love and, and, and just decided to go for it. Um, I knew I had already um, had a degree. So it was like, hey, I want to get into this broadcasting thing. I want to work for a team. And I didn't have really an end card. You know, I'm like, if I want to go back to school, I got to pay for that out of my pocket. So if you got a degree, the government ain't giving loans out for people with degrees. So I took the last little money that I had in my pocket, um, went to Ohio Media School. Um, I was just one day sitting on my mom's couch and I was watching Bruce Drennan and you know, like God tapped me on the shoulders, like, hey man, you might want to get up and call because they they ran a, like a promotion for Ohio Media School. And I just the very next day called them, drove up from Canton and um, started Ohio Media School through there. I got a uh, an internship at ESPN in Cleveland. I worked there, met a lot of dope people, Gerard Cherry, uh, Emmett Golden. I worked with all those dudes, um, worked on that show and, and really big show, some of the other shows all the way for a year, graduated. And then, you know, while I was looking for my job, they told me, hey, you got to go out of town to get a job. You can't get no job in the top 25 market. And so it was kind of disappointing that I didn't get a job at KNR. Um, but lucky for me, um, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I was able to um, get a call from Andy Roth and it was him calling me, telling me, hey, uh, yeah, we're gonna change one of these formats from a rock format to like a uh, all sports talk. Are you interested in coming to, to be like a board op answer phones? And I was like, heck That's yeah. And, and from there, it's been, I've been there since day one, worked my way up from the bottom, um, answering phones, met, 
uh, mentor, uh, the great BSK, who's a, it's a great story to hear about. He's the one um, who really kind of gave me my shot and opportunity to speak on air. And then from there, just created the barbershop and, and here we are today, man. So, so we, we got a lot to unpack, but first we gotta, we gotta go back a little bit. Cause you went to OU, mm -hmm. which is known as the party school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I know there's rules. You're not supposed to kiss and tell and whatnot, but man. I just want to know how, how crazy was it? Man, listen, uh, OU is probably, first of all, when I went there, OU, the campus is so nice. OU is like, probably like the epitome of what, like if you watch some of these school, like school days or school type programs of what college life is like, it's the epitome of that. Like, you know, I walked into campus and I was just looking around like, man, this is just like they portrayed it in, in a movie. I'm like, man, is this, I, I, I always thought I wanted to go to MTV Spring Break, but look, here I am on MTV Spring Break in real life. I told my mom, I said, listen, after we went on the first visit, you know, at the time people wanted me to go to like, you know, bigger schools. Like, you know, I still had visits on my, on the table. Like I had visits uh, to go to Wisconsin, to go to Michigan, to go to these other schools. And I, I left OU because they were the first team to really kind of like offer me and like they hammered me like, hey, come in the first recruiting week. And I remember I got there. And I was over, uh, I got there and it was probably a situation where we have a long nine week break. So it really wasn't nobody on campus, but they had the football team and the basketball team. And there was like some track teams and some track people there. And I just remember going there and going to parties and realizing like, oh, I ain't going nowhere else. This is it. This is it for me. This is like, this is, OU is the only per place that I've seen dudes give back football scholarships. Like, you know what? Hey, uh, here's what we're going to do. One of my roommates was like, he ended up losing his scholarship because of some different stuff. We was all roommates. And he had lost his scholarship. But basically, there's like, all right, we're going to pay for one last year for you. And then you're done. You're going to get this four-year scholarship. You're done. But we need that scholarship to get somebody else. He was like, cool. So he was just on scholarship, just going to class, doing his thing. My other roommate was like, hey, man. Went to the coach and was like, hey, dog, that deal you gave him, I'm trying to get that deal. They was like, that's not a deal. That's like that. That's not a situation. And the reason it was like that is because it's just the partying. Like, at OU, you can be somebody and not have a jersey, not be smart, not nobody. You could just throw the best parties and be the dude. Like, you come in. And it's people all around like, oh, that's so-and-so. He throws a party up on North High Street. That's so-and-so. You know who that is? He had like a 10-kager and he had a hairy buffalo. And he had like a like a, a, like a, a t-shirt contest. Away. Like these guys is going crazy. OU is that place. And and when I went. So so which guy were you? I just uh, listen, know. I actually, I, I fought him. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my mom and dad weren't playing no games. They're like, no. You gonna go over there and you gonna actually to be truthful. I actually stayed six years and actually double majored. Like it was a rated way to prolong my death. I had got injured a year and I had to sit out uh, for a year to get surgery over one of the semesters. So I graduated behind my class. So I feel figured that I was a couple uh, credit shorts of you know getting a double major. So I was just like I'm gonna stay again for six years. So OU is that it, it's it's everything is made out to be. 
Um, it's destroyed lives. <laughs> it's made great <laughs> tales. Um, and it's a period of time where if you ever say, would you give it back? I'll give it back a whole two weeks paycheck to give me a week back there. Just one week. Two That's weeks, it, one man. week, bro. I'm just, going back to college. I'm sorry. Just I'm going one back. time. And it was I'm crazy. going back because, to Athens, Ohio right now. <laughs> and, and it was so good. It was so, my brother came and saw me. Now, my brother is younger than me. He played football too. So he's like an offensive lineman or whatever. He was like, when he came up and, and would see us and we would throw these parties, I would have my cousins and, and different people coming up and they would show up and they just couldn't understand it. Like how many people was there and it was it blew their mind. My brother was like, I'm not going nowhere either. I'm going to OU too. I already got a name there. <laughs> they know who I am. I'm going. So me and my brother both went to OU and we both graduated from there. So uh, best, best time of my life. I can't even hate. Damn. And then what, what happened when you left? I mean, did the depression kick in? I mean, like, how did it work for you? Uh, no, just, listen, first of all, one, facts. Let's be real about it. Like, this is true. This ain't like I'm just laughing. There are people that are my friends. Like, this is a truthful statement. I have people who overdosed, like, literally died. Like, I had three or four of my friends in rehab. Facts. Like, had to fully, let's go to rehab because this is not working out too well for us right now. So, you know, that part of it is, you know, my mom and dad used to come down and visit for mom's weekend, dad's weekend, because me and my brother both went there. My younger brother went to the University of Akron. He used to come up too. But it's this thing where, you know, I always wonder what the theme to cheers meant. You know, everybody wants to go to a place where everyone knows your name, right? You know what I'm saying? You can walk into a place and people just know you. You can walk into a place five, six years later and people could still, they realize that they know you because they're like, oh, that's, that's his picture behind the bar. Like all these things. And, and, and basically people do go through depression because they're like, how am I supposed to really go back to regular life and get a job? And this is to me as a regular person, this is the highest I've ever been as far as fame or people knowing you. Um, so after I left there, you know, for me, I, I was interested in playing football and different things like that. But when that didn't work out because of injuries, um, I transitioned uh, and I transitioned. It took a while. Um, but what you got to have, you, I mean, you know, my mom and dad has always been like, it'll get out of your system. Like one day you wake up and I think it hit you. I was uh, in Charlotte and I just said, no, nah, I'm tired of being broke. Like I'm like, I'm tired of seeing like you get that thing where your college friends is may may get to the real world quicker to you, than you. And they start to make 60, $70,000. You run around here like on $20,000 and some <laughs> hopes, dreams and perception. You look good. You got a bunch of expensive clothes on. But after a while, it's like, nah, you got to get to this bag. Like you got to figure out something because, you know, perception ain't going to keep you alive in terms of. Uh, you know, what you want to do in the job market. So, you know, it took me a while, but I got it. I got to it. So um, I want to, I want to go back just a little bit. So Alex, I know you're going to remember where he left off at, because it's going to be a perfect pickup from you. So recently, man, you know, on our, on our podcast, we talk about, you know, they expect us to be 
athletes and rappers. But let let's be honest with you. It's it's no it's you can't argue that football plays a huge part in the community. Definitely. Like I play Muni League. Football keeps a lot of kids off the streets. Some kids, their first example of a father figure is not until they step on the football field. But mm-hmm. if you look at how times has changed, kids aren't playing football anymore. It's a lot of kids on video games. There's a lot of kids just doing actually in the streets. And I, to me, I think that's because also the lack of a father figure in the house or even like young moms, man. So when you look at times today, like how I remember times I would go up to youth football and try out. You would have to be tryouts. There was so many kids playing. Mm. Now teams need like they're going around looking. Man, what 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 needs to be changed to make sure like you know like because to me football coaches are still community leaders. They're mm-hmm. leaders in the community. They look over a lot of kids. But what what man what happened? Like just give me your, your opinion on what happened to kids in in youth sports. You know. I think of it like this, and I think it's a two-part program. One is, you know, when I was growing up, my dad, he used to be, he used to coach a baseball team. And um, I remember I was, you know, really good at baseball. Like, you know, like it's the only sport I really played. I didn't start playing football until I was like 14, 15 years old, almost in high school. But I played baseball ever since I was like five, six years old. So I was always extra good. Like it was just like, they would go with my high school team. There was not very many African-American players um, in the city that made their high school team that were black. Like it just wasn't a thing. You weren't about to, because it, it just cost too much from the traveling teams to the gloves, to the bats or whatever. But growing up in, in my father's neighborhood in the black community back then, growing up in the sixties and seventies, that's what they did. Baseball was a part of like the, the fabric, the culture, right? So my dad always coached my baseball teams. And then it got to the point where I had made this traveling team and pretty much I was, you know, one of the one of the best kids, you know, probably in the state. And then my dad was kind of like, oh, no, nah, what I'm about to do is I'm about to start a baseball team, a traveling team on the African-American side of town. Like everybody got one of the towns, right? Everybody got one of the, the side of the town where all the people from the hood is at. So my dad says, yo, I'm about to start a baseball team in the hood. Now I'm looking at him like, I mean, that's on you, bro. We was like a couple of games away from going to the Little League World Series. What you mean? Good luck with that. He was like, no, you on my team. He didn't really ask. He just said, no, you on my squad. And I didn't, I was hot. You know, it's one of the first times me and my dad was like, you know, I usually, whatever you, whatever you want me to do. Like, but I was mad and I didn't understand why he had me on it like that. I'm like, I'm about to play for it squad. We didn't even really have jerseys like that. We had to, we got funded by like the urban league and some other people. So we, we had these old Negro league jersey. It was like, we just had numbers on the back. It wasn't even no, it wasn't even like crazy. It, it was all gray. Like we was basically like a ragtag uh, a group of people. So, but what I understood was he was trying to tell me like, you know, you you got a uh you got a father at home so you got to show you got to help me show them how it go you got to show them how to move right so he used to be hard as heck on me like i used to strike out and be mad or something and i could be the player of the month and he would be like hey man you got to run that out 
or you got to hustle all the time. He was just on me all the time. And one time we just got in an argument. I'm like, man, you always on me like this. These other cats in there. He said, listen, the reason you on my squad is because I need you as an example to buy in to say, if y'all want to get somewhere, this is what it take. Because the same way I'm hard on my son, this is how society is going to look at you. You're going to have to be better than everybody else if you want to be even. You're going to have to get to that. And so you see how I'm tr- coaching him? That's It's going to be 10 times worse because they're not going to tell you what you're doing wrong. You're just not going to get the job. They're not going to say, hey, man, you, you might want to do it this way next time. They're just going to overlook you and keep it moving. So I understood what he was saying after that, but it took like, I, it hit me one day, I was like in college and I finally understood what, what the premise of, of, it, of it was for. But to, to give you the reason why um, and to think about why these things happen and why in the African-American community, people aren't playing sports and aren't doing as much is because first of all is access. You know, if you're a single mom, you just trying to put food on the table. You just doing the best you can. And if you ain't in jail or you ain't shooting nobody or you got half decent grades, they just trying to worry about getting it. So access is a thing. Um, the second thing um, is people actually taking time to, to invest in your future, invest in you as a person. That may be, like you said, a coach, uh, a, a pastor, somebody, you know, one of your OGs, somebody in the neighborhood to pull you aside to be like, yo, I believe in you. You could do other things besides the negative stuff that they put in. And then, and then third, I, I don't think as far as uh, football is concerned, there's a lot of people who back in the day, how many people we know um, that played sports and they come from the hood or come from an area or background. And you like, man, that dude was one of the best dudes I've ever seen in my life. This dude is like, he was amazing. Like he's one of the cold, they legends. Every team, every school, every person got legends. And so what happens is when you, you start to see your people you look up to be like, oh, man, he was all that good. He didn't go to college. Man, he was dope. He, I mean, he ain't go nowhere. Like his coaches didn't, didn't say, hey, this guy is, a, is a, that's why I respect Ted Ginn, um, senior. Like, when he comes over, he, his players, he makes sure he was making sure, not just his son, he was making sure everybody was getting a look. Nowadays, we don't got that same thing. People think it's like, eh. you know, as a school administrator, your job is to invest and to make sure that your kids have an opportunity to go to college. Not win no games. You're supposed to be sending people to the next level. You, you, If you don't feel like you have a mandate for that, that you shouldn't be in public school. You shouldn't be teaching the kids because here's the thing. Your goal is to send them off, educate them, and then they come back and they can help you do the same for the next generation. And, and, and you not invested in that. that you, you might stop 10 people's blessings because you never gave this dude a shot. So I think people got to invest and you got to make sure and have a burden to say, yo, I'm going to make sure you get somewhere because it's imperative. It's not a, it's not a, a, a it, it's not a privilege. It's, a, it's imperative. We need that. That's another thing. Like we always talk about on here. It's like, yo, it was so much that was took definitely out of the public school. Right. One of the biggest mistakes was 
you know, sports is still there, but they took trades out of the schools, right? So every, and it, this is just my thing, you know, everybody that's in high school ain't going to go to college. But just because you don't go to college, that don't mean you a failure. But my thing is, you, you, by the time you're in ninth grade, you can't tell me that a 15-year-old kid, if you say, hey, I'm going to give you this trade. And when you graduate, you can go into welding. And at 18, you'll be able to make $18 an hour. You're not going to tell me that's not. Now you, what you've done now is you're giving somebody, you're giving that kid a purpose. Because now he got something to look forward to. It ain't college. But you telling me if I just graduate and 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 then I finish and I take this course, I can make $18 an hour out of high school. To me, once you take, once you took the trades, you took the purpose away. And what happened once you take a kid's purpose? They can go find one. Now they in the streets. Now they doing this, that, and the third. Now they out here trying to hustle, trying to make money, robbing people. To me, school systems are failing the kids. Like we should know about credit when we're in high school. We should know how to manage our credit credit when we're out of high school. You already in debt at that time. It's um I, you know, I look at it like this. I, I actually literally go back to schools. Like if you listen, if you look at my documentary, The American Dream, you know, I go back and I see schools in Akron and you, you'll see me talking to some of the kids. And, and basically what I'm telling them is, you know, I do that because I need them to understand. Like, I, you know, I, I dealt with this very tough. Like, you know, me being a, a person who had a mom, a dad, uh, and is college educated. When I got laid off from work before I decided to go to broadcasting school, the reason I took it so hard was because I am the, for me, I am the representation of a person who had all of the right things happen for them, right? Your mom and dad been married forever. Uh, you, you graduated with two bachelor's degrees. You just got done with, with, with uh, you know, media school. Like you don't have any felonies. Like you've never been in trouble. You don't have any kids. You like, you don't, all these things. And I looked at myself and I said, bro, this is crazy. I got all this and I'm sitting on the couch. I, I didn't, I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling the pressure of being like, nah, I can't do that. It, 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 like I have to make it because there's people out there that have way more strikes against me or, or them. They, they, they don't have a mom or dad. They don't got nobody in the support system. Maybe they did do something dumb young when they was young and dumb. And, and now that's hanging on them as far as a record. So if they look at me and say, well, look, bro, I might as well be in the streets. Cause guess what? Listen, I, you I, I you can't help the Jay Z said it. You can't help the poor if you wanted them. <laughs> so you 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 know you know what I'm saying. So you get rich, you give back. That's a win win. Like they looking at you like, all right, well, give me another option or route besides dribbling at basketball, besides being a pastor in a church, and besides being an artist of some sort of singing and dancing or uh, entertaining people. You give me an example of somebody who was just a regular person that made it and said, wow, look, that's an alternative. I can do this. I, I can probably do that. I, I ain't got a 40 inch vertical. I don't even run no four two, but I can sit behind a microphone and talk. So that's why I was just so passionate. And I just had the, the desire to be like, no, I'm going to make it. I don't care how much it, what it, what it takes. Like, I'm just going to do it. And with, 
you know, God's um, just his, his blessings. Like I've been able to keep my mind on straight and to give me the energy to keep fighting because it's a long haul. I mean, people see the show, but people don't know, like they hired me to basically come in and answer phones. They're like, yeah, answer these phones real quick. And I'm like, for me at the time, I'm like, there's no disrespect to nobody on air, but you don't know as much as I do. How you know more than me? And I got more degrees. I didn't been to trade school. I didn't learn how to radio and television. And I didn't play baseball, basketball, and football at a higher level than any of you have ever played. So tell me, how are you more qualified? And sometimes it don't mm. matter about that. It's all about mm. can you still persevere and continue and continue on and also use your, your, your mentality of being a survivor and a hustler because I feel like that is innate in black people. I, you, you can't be here for 400 years and live like we lived and not be survivors and not be hustlers and not be entrepreneurs. That's in you, you just gotta wake it up. And so that's the way, that's our advantage because we didn't see crazy stuff happen. Man, you know what? We can do I'm, a job. I'm glad you said that because with how we are naturally and the generation we live in now, where we got access to all kinds of information, you can go on, Facebook, IG, whatnot, and you see success of this or what may appear to be that, right? Then you got all the streaming platforms and whatnot. And so as a kid growing up today, I want that, right? It's, it's no longer as uh, prestigious just to earn a degree mm, when mm, I can make money mm. on YouTube. I can make money by looking good and just sponsoring stuff on IG, when I can start a Snapchat, I can start a TikTok. Oh, yeah. I can start OnlyFans, right? So let me let me know your thoughts about how do we sort of uh, direct that energy? Because again, naturally, we're always going to go for what we think is going to put us in the best position. Like just living the status quo, white picket fence, nice house, nice dog. That's not exciting enough for us anymore. So tell me, like, as far as the energy that we carry from birth, even though we might come from lower income areas, how do we direct that energy and focus to be, you know, truly successful for the long term, but also about community? Um, I, I think it's a very fine line um, because and, and I talk to people and I said it's kind of in the documentary too. the reason why rappers and entertainers are so um so successful in certain fields right rappers today might you know people always say oh man this is garbage y'all mumbling y'all ain't really saying that in no beats whatever the difference between people like that who are in the game in the industry doing entertainment and they they are winning is because they it's out of desperation they don't have no plan B. Like they eliminate their plan B from Jump Street. What do you mean by that? Well, anytime you put tattoos on your face, that means you know good and well what that is. I'm going to be typecasted. I'm going to be a target. And I know I ain't going to be able to get no regular nine to five with crazy stuff on my face. So there's no option for them to fail. There's none. 
they they going at it with everything they got because it's either that or the street. They they understand that. And sometimes people who have more, who have more uh, opportunities or or come from a, a better background, you know, we we might say, oh, well, you know, I, I I could do a lot of things to the, to your own detriment. You know, I've worked in lots of jobs. I feel like I'm I'm educated enough that I was in financial advising. I've done sales. I've been in management. I've been in operations. I've been in entertainment. I've done all of those. And if one of them says, hey, we don't want you back anymore, I'm like, cool, I can go do something else. But the problem with that is sometimes you lean on that and you're not giving everything you got. You think you are, but you're not really out there on a limb. You're not really going for it, going for it, going for it, and just saying, I'm out here, I'm about to get it how I live. And, and this is my, this is what I'm going to do. And let me chase this opportunity with everything I got. So when you do get it right. And, and I think our, our perseverance comes from the fact that, you know, we ain't never, we have this thing. We don't, we don't worship people. Like there's a little, there's a level of like with, with other uh, cultures where there's a level of admiration that they show for everybody. For African-Americans, we, we like, oh, no, listen, I can go get that. I, I, it's very few many people that are like that don't put themselves in a lane that says, I can go get it. I understand it. Like, you good, but I can do what you do, right? And so when you look at it, how do you say once one of us makes it or, or once we, we use that inner strength to get, go further and do more, how do we make sure it's about community? You have to not forget that feeling and emotion you had when people doubted you. Because that feeling and emotion is what catapulted you to the point where you, you successful. Always remember that feeling and then transfer it to somebody else and say, do you remember when you didn't have no like body to really say, hey, let me give you some game, young dude. You remember you didn't have nobody that said, hey, this is how you do what you do. Hey. Let me show you how I could create streams of income on the radio. Let me show you how I came up with my business model. Let me show you how to get one day on the radio and get paid uh, pennies on the dollar, but I can translate that and I can capitalize that and I can spin that into making streams of income other places. A lot of times a guy like me or people in our, our situation, they don't want to break bread with nobody. Cause you no, got the, you got the roadmap. No, no, they ain't nah. gonna tell you where to go get it. They ain't gonna tell you where to get the grants to start your business. And that's what one, you need. one of the biggest things in our community, man. As far as helping each other get ahead, it's like I'm looking at you as my competition versus as my teammate, right? <laughs> right. It's like, can you imagine two people being on the same team trying to compete against each other? Man. That that's not gonna work out too well for them. But I got a quick question. You were talking about, um people basically being on their last lifeline they have no other way out they didn't have no options growing up two-parent household dad who was coach who was about it going to college did you do you think and I kind of feel like I suffer from this too you think you felt comfortable like where you didn't have to like go super hard to make it because there was no other way out where you felt like you did have a way out because you had that cushion there did you feel like you were comfortable um, 
there, there's certain, there, I'll tell you this, there are certain points in your time, um, in your life that I'm a true believer in this. Like for me, you know, the Bible always talks about, and God always talks about, like he gives everybody talents and um, he, he gave you those talents free and clear. So he, he, he gave it to you. He's not going to take it back. The only way he'll take your talent is if you don't use it. And there's times in my life where I've had the talent and ability to do certain things. And I just, you know, uh, okay, it's not, it ain't that. I mean, I could go do a lot of different things, but you don't get no extra credit points for saying you can do a whole lot of things, but not necessarily be successful in any one. Like that don't get to get it done. So after it came a point in time, I think we're really what it hit me and, and, and to a certain extent, when we talk about the people who don't have no plan B, you're supposed to model your energy and, and your grind after them. That's what, like if they, and there's some bad people that are very successful. There's some people that are just, you know, crap human beings for a lighter, better, for lack of they better call. term. But you know what? They prospering because guess what? They're doing it better than you. They're doing it more, um, more, more, more times a week than you. They're going all out for it. So if a person could be bad and be successful, you can be good and successful when you're trying to add and give positive stuff out there. You just had had the same grind as they do. And if you can match their grind, your energy level and, and the stuff you putting out there in the, in the community, it'll trump theirs every single time. No pun on words there. <laughs> it, <it'll, laughs> I like that. Um, it, it, it'll come back to you tenfold because people will reach out to you. People will say, hey, man, I, put me on. How you know this? And I'm I'm eager always to, to reach back and help the young dudes. Man, I'll put you on my podcast. I, I done started a series where I just put regular people on. And I'll interview you. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not a thing. We got to take back the messaging. You know, we the people that decide. We, we trendsetters. I love we, we that. I love that, that bro. We got to take that back. So instead of me putting a guy that may be in the media, that's a beat reporter, no disrespect or whatever, that's, there's a time and place for that. But I'm, I'm going to show you that I can go do something else and we can just talk about you and me and relationships and it'll do the same amount as numbers as them. We don't need the validation of saying you got to be in the media. You don't need that validation. All we need to do is say the people that's in the position say, nah, this is what's hot over here. And y'all gonna y'all catch up sooner or later. And so that's what that's what I'm on. Woo. All right, man. Listen, I wanna uh I wanna I wanna jump into another 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 avenue because Alex and myself had this conversation. So G Bush, man, we got college athletes, right? Let's just take basketball and football, right? They out there, definitely football on Saturdays, they putting their life on the lines. You know what I'm saying? They, listen, the whole month of March, you got Zion, you got RJ Barrett, you got the yeah. Trey Youngs, and these guys can't even go get paid like for signing an autograph. They get in trouble for getting tattoos. You remember the debacle with um, Terrell Pryor at Ohio State, man. What's your opinion on college athletes not being able to to collect a check or getting paid 
Well, you know, my 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 thought process as I disconnect my headphones because I, I just didn't charge them boys up. But you know, that's the that's the downfall of beat by Dre. Come on, beat. Come on, Dre, man. Give me some batteries in these. But um here's here's what it boils down to. Once again, for for African Americans, it boils down to access. Um, and access is something that is used systematically to keep you where you're supposed to be at in, in, in people's minds. And, and when I break it down, you, you just have to just look at the, the correlation between how many people that are 18, 19 year old African-Americans that are earning people millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And they can't profit from it because it's amateurism. Now, the problem I get and I have in terms of the fiscal arguments with people in this country is that we all love capitalism. We love capitalism, uh, free market, the invisible hand. Everybody wants to talk about the capitalistic structure and why that makes America great. Now, the problem is you can't choose and pick and choose what part of capitalism you like. So my thought process is, if you're going to tell a story about a guy like Steve Jobs or guys that are in Silicon Valley or, or tech guys who at the age of 16, 17, 18, have crazy ideas, can go into the main street, can go into the marketplace and, and create innovations that, that move society forward and they could be compensated for it, right? But you telling, you telling African-Americans and people that are blessed just like a mental aspect, just like a, the ability to, to come up and create with things and think of processes. You meaning to tell me you're going to stop their athletic ability and, from being monetized because of an arbitrary rule? I always well, get. Well, let's, let's be clear. Their athletic ability is being monetized. They're just not taking part in the monetization. Yes. Yes. There we go. There we go. Back to, back to, you know, we don't, we just don't want to give you access to, to the bag. So here's what we're going to do. If you play basketball, we're going to make it where you got to make some of our buddies some money for a year. 19, we're we going to sign a rule that say you, you, you're not ready to come to the league. So what you do, go play for Duke or Carolina, make those guys some money. Then you get a chance to make yourself some money. But I always ask people throw these random things out like, well, you know, they're not ready. It's going to end up, they don't, they don't know how to manage your money, the maturity. My question is, we don't never got no problem with 16-year-old European tennis players making a million. We ain't got no problem with the European basketball players being over there, being professionals at 14. What about the soccer players all around the world who, if you're good, you're on a professional team at 16. We have no problems with any of that. And you have to ask yourself why a majority of African-Americans, a majority of them dominate basketball, dominate football, the two most popular sports in this country. And so there are guardrails and gatekeepers put in place to make sure we're going to get our money first. If you so, so if you get an injury while you're playing here four years, who cares if you, Bro. you know, you use up all your game, uh, you know, before you can even make make to the league. Nah, it's just no. At least you got that degree. 
man that, you that, here here's what's so funny about that too and there's a lot to talk about with that because wasn't it crazy seeing justin fields and trey lance doing commercials the day after they got drafted like those sponsors could not wait to endorse them and they probably wanted to endorse them the moment they stepped into college right it's it's not the sponsors it's title nine it's the it's the colleges it's these laws that need to change but meanwhile, you got coaches making five to ten million dollars a year to coach these kids, and you can take ten percent of their salary literally and pay the entire team mm-hmm. every season, and their lifestyle wouldn't change that much. But here's my thing, and, and you said something that made me think about this, and that's the fact that if those college players did get paid, it would do three things. Number one, it would teach them how to manage money early on in their life. Right? You get drafted, like I think uh, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. How much do you get guaranteed? Thirty million for being the first overall mm-hmm. pick, mm-hmm. right? And and if if you're in that first round, you're literally guaranteed millions of dollars. These dudes ain't never managed that type of money in their whole life, and you just expect them to not not go nuts, right? Especially most of them didn't come from a stable home. The second thing it would do, and I just thought about this, is could you imagine what that would do to the black community as far as prospering? Because the first thing they're gonna do is send money back home. So, so, so could you imagine mom not having a struggle, dad not having a struggle, sister, brother not having a struggle? Like they're literally banking on them to go pro. But if they were able to monetize their college careers the way they should be, they could be set up already. And by the time they walk in into the league, family's good, they good, and it's not this big, big pressure to to get paid. But the third thing do is it gives the power of the money back into the hands of the athletes mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's giving them the power back and honestly i think unfortunately it's going to happen in college basketball which i think is slated to happen what in 2023 right yeah it, the california lawsuit that came out and they voted on yeah. um pretty much said that they're going to let teams in california capitalize on likenesses as well as go out and receive endorsement from companies in California. Very, very, very smart. And I think they aired that on the shop, the mm-hmm. Brian show, right? Yeah. So, I mean, just, and, and I know that, that that was kind of a long take, but yeah, like, dude, I got a big issue with the fact that these coaches are making what they're making, but the players are not allowed to make. Some of these coaches make more than professional coaches. These are state institu- institutions. These are tax-funded as much as we love, as much as we love the coaches like that coach at Ohio State, we loved Urban Meyer. But ain't nobody going to see Urban Meyer play. Ain't nobody no. going to see, they going to see Meyer, Justin Fields and 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 Chase Young rush that passer. That's Bro, think it. think think about this. Ryan Day walked into a six million dollar contract from being an offensive coordinator. And you know what is crazy? He can walk away tomorrow if he gets another bigger deal. He'll he can if if Ohio State paying him six and Alabama want to pay him 10 because Nick Saban uh you know retired, he can leave that contract that he signed for how many years? Five, 10 million, five, 10 years. Take that contract, go right over it and get a pay raise and walk out of his contract. However, why is the onus on 18-year-old children or young adults? that they, if they sign to go to a school, if they want to transfer to another division one school, 
not only can the NCAA say, mm, you lose a year of eligibility, boom. Second thing automatically happens. The coach that you don't want to play for anymore has an opportunity to veto the schools that you want to go to. If you're playing in the SEC and you leave Florida and you say, well, I want to play for Georgia, he's going to be like, no, I'm, you're not going to transfer to any team that we play within three to five years on this schedule. Now, how is a person, how is the onus on a player to, to honor a contract, to honor a signature of and where he not wants even to getting play? Paid. And, and not he's even not getting paid. paid, but the coach, on the other hand, can right, go do whatever can. he wants. And, and, just... and let's be clear. He's there on a scholarship. If for some reason he loses that scholarship, because people kill me with this or where they're getting a free education. Let's be clear. When you're playing at a D1, at a, at a top-tier school, you're a three-star, four-star recruit coming out of high school, you do not have time to study. You do not have time to earn a degree. And you did not go to college to get a degree. You're mm. going to college to play the sport so that you can become a professional athlete in that particular sport. Mm. The other thing is this. The Percocets. Like, so... You can go into a lot of these schools and whatnot, and nowadays they have better training facilities and programs and whatnot. But let's be clear, that's because they're making money for that school. They're making money for that team. They're, the players are technically funding the coach's job, right? But guess what? The whole coaching staff, including the head coach, has access to all of that too. So it's not as if you're giving them some special treatment. No, you want them to have these things you want them to have the best of the best so they can go out and perform the absolute best. So, I mean, these, these and, types of comment. Yeah. And, sorry, and you, you said something right there. And, and here's a, here's a, here's a quick three or four things that um, people have a misconception about, about college scholarships, because to be truthful, um, there's only 3000 division one scholarships given every single year in this country. That's less than three, two or 3%. So most people don't even know what a letter of intent looks like, your scholarship, what is included and all that good stuff. The first thing to know is that everybody on in a coach's family has the ability to go to school for free once they're coaching. That's yep. his immediate yep. family. Yep. Free yep. education. Absolutely. And it's just not one. It's all of them. So if you want to say it's how first great time learning that, dog, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, bro. There's there's certain schools, for instance, Case Western, I think John, John Carroll is one. If you work at the school, your children can go to school for free. And it's not just that school. It's like a network of schools that they that they have access to. So, for example, I know a guy who works at Case and not only can his kids go to Case for free, it's like 500 other schools that they have access to that they can go to school. Absolutely. Free. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And on top of that, if you want to make it even, well, well, hey, what if your mother never got a GED, right? It, can, can, I'm a scholarship athlete. Can my mother go get a GED? Can she take classes online to get her? Can, can my brother, even though he's a, you know, he's not as good an athlete as me, could he go and, and him get a scholarship based on what I'm giving? No. So here's the problem. You already got coaches that are already getting a disproportionate amount of income at millions of dollars, but you also treat them better as far as the perks go for them educating their families. Oh, bro. And, and the, the perks just don't stop there. I'm talking about private jets, state dinners, 
per diem. Like all the things that, and that's not, that's just their salary. You got retirement, 401ks, IRAs, medical. Like do, do the players have basic financial instruments set up for them so that if something were to happen, they would be taken care of? By the way, they're giving all this time to the school, making you all this money. You don't even have it set up so that they're in some way taken care of. When a coach leaves the school, he's he good. He, he's fine. Yeah. So so so, so listen, listen. Cause so I'm gonna hit y'all with this. Let's go here because and I want and I want to get your 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 take on this too, G. It's to me, it's starting to be this shift, right? And my son plays youth football so right now i'm already installing him listen you can go to a hbcu college because now listen eventually they're gonna get some act right because once these five-star four-star recruits start saying you know what i'm gonna go over here to a hbcu where they're gonna appreciate me where they're gonna make sure they're gonna treat me better than yes because you can't tell me that if and I use this draft and I use this class as an example, Zion, RJ Bear, all those guys. You can't tell me if one of those guys said, man, you know what, man? I'm about to go over here to an HBCU. Could you imagine the shift it would take if one of the top recruits? To me, it will be a trickle-down effect because now, guess what? Now our people is going back to the, our schools. Now y'all going to feel that because now you losing top recruits. You can act like you don't feel it, but once those top, and I mean like four or five, once those recruits start saying, no, nah, I'm, I'm good, I'll stay. I like what you're doing, but I'm going to go over here to Atlanta e and or I'm going to go over here to, to, to Jackson State. I'm going to go um, play for um, primetime. Primetime sending people to the league. I play corner. He know what he's doing. I'm going to go over there to him. What's going to happen if that start happening? Well, you know, I, I think you've, you've already started to see a little bit of, you know, recruits, especially in basketball, going to HBCUs. Um, because basketball is a thing where basketball, there's so many Division One schools. There's there's almost two times as many Division One basketball schools than there is uh, NBA places, or, or excuse me, of uh, college, college teams. So people have shown the ability to get drafted in the top 10 or drafted high coming from smaller schools in the NBA. If you can play, it'll be evident. There's five people in the court. They'll know if you're dominating or not, and you, you'll get it in. Now, when you look at it, you know, my father graduated from HBCU in the seventies. So, you know, he, he talks about, you know, just the difference in levels of where HBCUs used to be compared to where they are now. And this goes back to a further, you know, policy thing. You know, HBCUs have been diminished um, for the most part because of government uh, funding, uh, because of, you know, how, where they're getting donors from and, and what, are, what is the government and, and the educational system in this country doing to make that a legitimate option to a, 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 I want to say segregated to a integrated to a mixed regular run of the mill public uh, state institution. What are you doing to make sure that those those institutions stay funded? That you can make upgrades to the curriculum, that your your facilities are up to and stand on point. That that is that is a has to be a priority in this country to reach the different people and do different demographics. And for the last 20 years, 20 or 30 years, that hasn't been a thing. It, it just hasn't, you know, 
So um, let me let so, me ask you this then, since you just said that you mentioned earlier, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, where our energy goes, prosperity flows, right? So, do you think in some ways you got the government on one end, but you got the black community on another end? For the past, I don't know, five decades or more, it's been all about going to the Ivy League, going to private schools, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that's more on us as far as to emphasize going to an an HBCU, kind of like we're starting to see the trend now? You know, shouldn't we take some responsibility for that? Oh, yeah. I I think we should take – I'll take it a step further and say that our responsibility is – We've even lacked um, the drive to 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 instill a attitude or to still instill the expectation that you have to like wherever you go, you got to be at college level or wherever you go, you better get a trade or wherever you go, you need a vocation. Like nowadays, it just seemed like people is content with the high school thing. Like, hey, I got it. You know, I'm the first kid to graduate from my high school right? You're done. You just go get a job now. Um, you know, it doesn't seem there is no push from the parents, from, you know, the social workers, or even educating people in, in, in uh, I guess, urban areas of the opportunities outside of their area. I go talk to kids all the time. And one of the greatest things that ever happened is, is my, in, my mom told me, my dad went to HBCU. And um, my mom and dad both said, yes, we went to HBCU, but more than anything, we got to keep you well-rounded to a point that you know how to interact and you know how to move in every, every circle. So wherever you're going to be at, we need you to understand that, you know, white people and other cultures that are in the power in this country, they are the decision makers. You need to learn how to navigate and, and to work and, and be around those individuals. But I think that right now, we're not even, you know, posing any sort of options. We're not set the expectation that you guys got to do certain things. And for me, it helped me because I was always pushed out of my comfort level. I always, there's a lot of people that don't even leave their city. When you see and can experience, and I always tell people like this, you know, there's a rover on Mars taking pictures and doing stuff remotely just taking samples of dirt and, 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 and basically doing unassisted, unmanned stuff on Mars today. That alone should make you feel insignificant if the only thing you worried about is what's going in on in your two, three block radius. Getting out, doing other things opens your mind and then you able to soak things in. But if we don't have experiences and all we doing is sitting in our you know local areas and talking about what's going on in the hood and, and all that good stuff that doesn't give you a perspective of what actually is really important out here yeah man and just to uh cap off this conversation so you see master p's son committed to an hbcu you see Shaq's son did the same how much of an impact do you think it'll make if Bronny james committed to an hbcu I think I, I I actually think if he doesn't go straight to the the G League, because I know a lot of people is is foregoing college period just to go to the G League. 
which is, you know, basically the minor league system, and they can get $200,000 and keep it moving right now. Um, Bronny is, is poised to do something a little bit different because he don't need, he don't need your tuition. He don't need your scholarship. He don't need none of that. Like he got all the money in the world that he can print. So for, you know, LeBron James and his family, he has an opportunity to, to really make a dent on something and saying, I'm just going to stand on some principle because if you think my son ain't going to get drafted or picked, you're crazy. He's, he's already set up. So if he can do that, other people will come along and say, well, oh, let me, let me try that. All it takes is a couple of them. There's always going to be some people that want to go to big schools or whatever, but for the most part in talking to African-American athletes and growing up with people, elite athletes don't care about none of that stuff like prestige. And I wanted to be on this and no, nah, you know what they care about? Am I going to get a play? Does what does facilities look like? Can I be on TV? And what are my chances of going to the league? If you can show that person that they don't care nothing about the pageantry. Cause the reality of it is like you said, I came here, especially with basketball. I came here to go to the league. You know, you don't even take 12 hours after basketball season is over in the fall. You, most people just stop going to school because the draft is coming up. I ain't about to be here. You're only taking prerequisite classes anyway. It ain't like you in a major or nothing. So for most people, that's a no-brainer. If I can get everything I can get over here at the HBCU that I can get over here, well, that's an opportunity and an option, especially if I can go follow behind some people that I admire. Yeah, man. And I think once we start seeing it in football, because you said, and I, and I wanted to touch on this earlier, your dad brought baseball to the hood. Mm-hmm. We don't see many young black men playing baseball. Most of the time you see them and they got any color to them is either Dominican, Puerto mm, Rican, something yeah. like that. So how do you think, because we talked about this, um, about, you know, basically we've got basketball and football, but I mean, you can make a ton of money in golf. You can make a ton of money in tennis. You can make a ton of money playing baseball. You can make a ton of money playing other sports, going to the Olympics, right? How do we get our young men and women to obviously value education, but to also value playing other sports except the prototypical baseball, I mean, football, basketball? Um, first of all, um, when people talk about, you know, systematic racism, I think people don't take in consideration. They think that when I say systematic racism, we talking about lynchings and people getting, you know, hunted down by the KKK or we, that's what they think of when you think systematic racism, but systematic racism also describes what goes on in baseball. And it's, it's very passive aggressive. It's very, you know, we all know about microaggressions as, as African-Americans where they don't overtly tell you like, yeah, I don't think of you uh, highly because of your skin color. They just make certain comments that it infers like they have com- conversations <laughs> that you, they don't have with you, with the folks that don't look like you. They it's make sure different. it's kind of like esoteric right you know what i'm saying it's like, different <laughs> it's just like, body we, language it, everything man you know man, facial just, expressions you know all of that and so when you look at it another part of systematic racism is making it very difficult or the barrier of entry higher than one group of people 
Case in point, you know, there's a lot of, you know, white people or other different, like you said, Dominican and, and those, those individuals, um, Latinos, those people gravitate towards baseball because baseball is a sport where it's like, I can get my money off over here. I, I can compete over here because I don't got to really run that fast. I don't really got to be able to jump. I don't have to have some crazy athletic ability to play. And so in baseball, they they move the barrier to entry so high for African-Americans that it's not feasible. If you if you're a single mother, how, how are you planning on taking your kid to to, you know, traveling baseball squads? You, you're not you can't be traveling all over the country. You know, you take a look at how much it costs to play, you know, football or basketball. You could buy a pair of gym shoes and, and you could play. There might be 200 bucks or whatever. But all you need is that. And somebody else usually got a basketball. When you talk about baseball, you got to have gloves. You got to have batting gloves. You got to have a bat. You got to have cleats. You got to, you know, be able to do those things. And the travel with your kid to do that is higher in other sports. People may say, well, well G. Bush, well, AAU is dominated by African-Americans. Why, why is there no a barrier for that? Why they can find ways, but here's a part. African-Americans, and we talked about the people that are in the community, the, the, the coaches, the ministers, the, the different people, those are nine times out of 10, your AAU coaches, right? And so that African-American leader of that AAU team is taking it upon himself to make sure so-and-so over here can come to practice because his mom is working late. So-and-so over here, he might not have enough food on the road because we about to go through these AAU tournaments. So let we gotta, we gotta make sure he can eat too. All of these things are things that African-Americans usually are doing in AAU. In baseball, that's not the case. And so when you look at, if you wanna put your son in something, if you wanna get him out the streets, if you just want him to be active, it is much easier to let him play football or to let him play basketball, rather than it is to seek, how do you even sign up for a traveling? Like, how do, where, where is that? You ain't no sign up sheet for that. Like, do, who do you go talk to? You don't know the coach. You don't know nothing. You just out there like, uh, this is crazy. Who did I talk to about my 12 year old son who wants to play baseball? You don't because Bro. it's sequestered over here. You ain't supposed to know. Bro, you made a great point because, um, I was watching I Am Athlete, and they had Bubba Wallace on there. And the question was, how do you even get into NASCAR, right? It's very expensive, extremely expensive. But, like, the average kid isn't thinking about – they might like racing, but how do you even get in? Like, where, where do you go practice? Where, where do you go buy your first car? <laughs> and the same thing with golf. Golf is very – expensive to play just to have a golf instructor man can be hundreds of dollars an hour same same thing with tennis i was just going to talk about that if you want to send your kid to tennis you're talking about for a decent like a a, a decent coach that's going to help you get to the pro thousands of dollars a month and that's talking about when you're a kid yes and right? i know that firsthand when yeah. i wouldn't play when i wouldn't play basketball or i wasn't good enough yet at that point and i got cut when i was in younger um, you know, in the sixth grade. Um, and I wasn't playing football yet. The second sport I played was tennis. I took tennis lessons. Like, you know, I had a tennis, uh, shout out to Poncho if you're watching, by the way. I don't know if he's gonna watch, but shout out to him. He was my tennis instructor 
when I was in fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade. And we went to a, a, a private course or whatever, and we was paying him. Um, my aunt and my mom went in on it together, the rackets and all of these different things. I was huge into tennis. Love Pete Sampras and Agassi and Jim Courier, Stefan Edberg, like Ivan Lindell. Like I was all the way deep in it. Uh, Chang, I was all the way in it. I used to go back in the backyard and, and practice my forehand and backhand in the backyard. So, but here's to say this. Um, how do you even go about finding that person? How do you even go about saying, hey, I got a guy that uh, I think he's going to be good at tennis. Who do you go find? There is the, the access to entry is not something. It goes back to like, who's, who's, who's putting you up on game? Who's letting you know where to do these things? And they're not going to let you do that because the mentality is, and we've heard it, you know, you guys have that. You've already have basketball. You already have base, uh, uh, basketball and football. Why? I mean, you don't need this too. Like, do you, you, you want that too? Leave something to us. At least leave something. And that's the mentality. Like, I was told, like, bro, you already start varsity basketball and football. Why do you want to play baseball? It's like, because I want to. And I'm good. And I'm better than y'all. Like. And, you know, it's just one of those things where they want something. And, and it's human nature to be exclusive. We're going to just make sure we're going to keep this over here. But, you know, it, it's going to take people like uh, like our, our, our stars, our entrepreneurs, those guys to just say, I want, I want, I'm going to make sure baseball jumps in the African-American community. I'm going to make sure there's clinics. I'm going to make sure there's reg the fields. I'm going to make sure there's instructions. I'm going to make sure that. Willie, and, and if you, that's how you will get do back. Now, now that right there is how you get back. <laughs> that's it. That's how you get back. Like, that's how you, that's how you make something out of nothing. Don't wait for the city to, to say, all right, we're going to revitalize this baseball diamond. Don't wait, you know, to, to set up leagues and to get people interested and to do clinics and then bring professional baseball players down to talk to you. That's why I can, I can salute Francisco Lindor because he wasn't holding his baseball camps in, in some little, you know, suburb. He was going right to the, he was going right downtown city fields and talking to people holding baseball camps for free. So you need those things to happen if you if you want baseball to thrive and you can't wait on the establishment to do it because it frankly it's not in their best interest man i before you get started willie i just want to shout out to francisco lindor because he just got a bag super <laughs> my bag. man got a bag <laughs> it's a super his stage that, that, oh, listen shout out you know it just goes to show you how lucrative baseball can be you know, if you do it at the highest level. Alex, I'm glad you didn't call him Frankie. But anyway, um, let's jump into this last one, man. It's mental, it's mental health awareness month. And by you being in the media, you're close to a lot of to a lot of the athletes. You're close to the locker room. Fans, we see the the product on Sunday. We see those guys going out there, landing on the line, we cheering for them. But what we don't see is their life off the field you know they have a lot to deal with you know after taking you, it to me and you play so you could probably can explain this better it's a switch you have to turn on to go on that field to even survive out there and once you get off that field 
you have to turn that switch off. But before you even fully have it turned off, you got a camera in your face, you got a microphone in your face. It could have been a tough loss, tough game. And that can drain your mental. Now you have to go home. Now when you go home, you got to be a father. Mm. You got to be a husband. And at the same time, come Monday, depending on whether you want a loss, you got to put that switch right back on to go to the film room, to go to, to go to meetings, to get ready for the next week. So explain to the audience, you know, what the, what fans don't see as far as how draining it can be mentally, mentally to an athlete once they leave the field. Um, it can be, it can be, I, I'll say this, being an athlete is so difficult because you're, you're, you're a person without a village. You're, you, you don't fit in to your community anymore because the second you get that amount of money, you either unfortunately become a target or you, your family becomes a target or there's a level of scrutiny that comes with law enforcement. There's a level of everything. Everything is heightened. You know, when you get that much money, think about it. For the most part, one of the things that my teacher always told us was back in the day when we would go over what professions would do. And I would say, well, how much money does it make? And they would tell me, that's rude. You're not supposed to ask how much something pays. And I said, well, what is the, why would I sign up for that job? And I don't even know what the pay structure is. Like, what if I don't want to do that job based on the fact that I can't feed myself. And at a young age of five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I realized that people are very, you know, I'm going to make you keep you in the dark about certain things, right? So you don't know how much your teacher is making. You don't know how much ever your coworkers or your boss, all of that is confidential. But for football players, professional athletes, they know exactly how much money you got. They know exactly when you got it. They know how much is guaranteed of it. And they also know exactly what your endorsement levels are. And so now when they look at you, they don't see hypothetically Garrett Bush. They think see Garrett Bush five years, 125 million guaranteed. And my job is to get some of that 125 million because you got it. We know you got it, you know? So there's a level of pressure that comes with that. You don't want to be labeled a person who it doesn't give back. You don't want to be a person that, you know, it, it isn't in tune with their hood or you, you, you left us behind. So you have that guilt. You, you, you keep it with you because you feel like, okay, well, I don't belong in this segment because they're not, they're not accepting me for me. The person that grew up with them, I'm different, but you don't, you don't uh, fit in the other world either. They see five years, 120 million, and people say, why you got that money? How he, he, they, they get that money for playing the game. It's a game, and they play all that money to you to pay for that? Bro. They'll cheer for you right now. Bro. But let you say something, and it's going to come right back to. It's going to come right back, man. And, and, and it's crazy, especially for black athletes, because, OK, first off, we got to shut up, Cleveland, because we had the draft here last last. Yes, week. sir. You know what I'm saying? So but I was looking at these young dudes walk across. That was a long stage, by the way. That stage was freaking long. That it was dude, a catwalk. That that <laughs> that that hallway that they had to walk down fashion the ground. They cap. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely a fashion show. The most financially secure dude there was the commissioner. Think about that. Not the players, the commissioner. Like his 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 job is Gucci. His job is guaranteed. 
and he don't have to play. He don't he don't have to step on the field after. Well, I, I should say first, the fight, the first financially secure is the owners. Then it's the commissioner who makes mm-hmm. sure he gets paid. Think about this, though. Can they really even enjoy it? Because we know coming from the black community, when you get that contract and it's we ain't even talking about the second contract, we're talking about just getting into the league. You know, you got to take care of mom, dad, brother, sister, auntie, grandma. It's like if you grew up for the most part, typical white suburban household and you just happen to go to the NFL. Your family isn't expecting you to take care of them. They're not looking Talk at you draft draft Talk night thinking about, man, I can't wait till my son buy me this big house, buy me this car, et cetera, et cetera. They're just happy that you made it. Hey, son, go live your life. Don't forget the principles that we taught you. Eat your vegetables, wash behind your ears, things like that. And really, they're like, okay, I'm glad he made it. So he's not a burden upon us. <laughs> right. So even to even piggyback with that, go ahead. Go back and look. When somebody get drafted, take a look at the difference between the environment when an African American gets drafted and a white guy. Don't do that, G. Don't do that. Do it. Do (laughs) it. Go in. Go in. Look at the look. First of all, look at the surroundings. Look at the house. You like? Did they give you a check early? Like you winning right now? Look at the demeanor at which you know you know Caucasians. You know. They got a couple people there, mom, dad. Bro, hold on, wait, wait. Just look at the attire. That should tell you all you need to know. Willie texted me. He said, bro, man, these suits is cold. But when you looked at Trevor Lawrence suit, when you you looked at all the other ones, they had the most basic, simple. Our our suits had to be swagged out, bro. The jewelry is popping already. I'm like, wow. Airline fresh. Trust me, bro. They didn't spend thousands of dollars just just for that night. Already, when, the when receiver him, from Alabama had a grill in. Yeah, yeah, I saw Jalen Jalen Waddle. I, I watched his outfit was a hot mess. Um, he he looked like he didn't spent uh, like ten twelve thousand already on that advance from his agent. He already got that advance. He like yo, I'm gonna shine when I get up here. It's different. I'll also ask you and tell you this too. Out of all of the people that got hit for for in terms of something like uh you know improper stuff improper infractions improper benefits tattoos uh you, you went to a car lot they let you drive it around boosters giving you a little bit of money I, I i i i i dare anybody i challenge them to tell me one person let me see it that happened to be white and that happened to good luck the reason is it shows you the difference in economics, the difference in structure, and the difference in the the uh, uh, the need and necessity to take certain items because you need it for your back, your family, or whatever the case may be. And you said something brilliant. These guys, they get their son get drafted. They got a mom and dad. They mom and dad ain't stopping what they doing. They going to work tomorrow. I was about to say, dad, got to go to work tomorrow. You got to go work. In at like, five. All right, job, son, you got son. drafted. I'm going to bed. I'm going to catch you later, bro. These people have infrastructure. These cats, ain't, they ain't pressed about no money. Like, we got guys stealing laptops. We, Cam Newton got in trouble for taking a laptop, right? Now, 
other people don't have that problem because they can go and say, hey, son, you need something? Call your dad. I got you. You, you ain't got to go take nothing. I got a lab. We'll buy you a laptop tomorrow. You ain't got to go, you know, taking clothes. Don't worry about using a car illegally. I'll get you the car. Make sure you got the insurance and you ain't got to worry about getting pulled over saying who the car lot and a booster and let you have a car. It's, it's deeper than that, though. It's deeper because they got a whole community behind them. Right. So they've got where just because of their skin color, it gives them access. It don't even have to be a relative. Mm-mm. It can just be we're in a community. Okay, so is your kid? Okay, cool. He's in, right? So they they've got access to resources that we don't. Bro, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what's crazy. During quarantine last year, kids had to. Well, pretty much the start of this year, this past school year, 2020, kids going to school. It shocked me the amount of kids in the inner city that didn't have access to internet. I was very unaware and I, and I lightweight feel ashamed about it simply because since internet came out growing up in the suburbs, I've always had access to it. So it's never been where I don't have access to internet. I may be in a city somewhere or something and my bars are low, but just think about that. How many of them are growing up without access to internet? How many of them are, are growing up without access to, you know, if I need to uh, get, tutors or tutorship or i need to sit down with a college counselor or go take a tour of a school like sports doesn't come first in their community sports is okay you made it cool um our mom and dad will be at your first few games if you go to the playoffs or whatever we'll be there to support you but that doesn't come first they're still emphasizing education mm-hmm. right at the mm-hmm. end of the day and so here's here's my thing going forward, because I love talking about this stuff because it shows us what the problem is, but it also allows us the opportunity to implement solutions going forward. What should we be telling our young college athletes to focus on? Right. OK, so you might make it to the league. There's a ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance you won't. Right. That's a whole different conversation. All the all the stud athletes that for whatever reason, they didn't go pro but they never emphasize education. So they could be a mechanic right now. They could be working as a server. They could be at a, at a, at a call center, whatever. Right. For some reason in our community, the emphasis is media entertainment. So whether it's being an athlete, whether it's being a rapper, and we don't just have these conversations, this is real. What should we be emphasizing? What should that focus be where we should be telling them, whether you go to the league or not, this is what you should be focused on. What should that conversation be like? The focus should, the focus should be on um, capitalizing and learning to take advantage of what you have. So y- you can say, hey, son, or you know, you're mentoring somebody, you say, for, you've done a great job of maximizing and taking advantage of your athletic God-given ability. That has gotten you to college. Also, that has given you a very large platform in terms of how many people are aware of you, how many people know you, whether that's Twitter followers, whether that's Facebook friends, whether that's all of these different things. The second you're supposed to be coming into, into school, 
you're supposed to be thinking of things about how you can grow a base of people that can either A, give you access, B, give you opportunity, or C, give you connections or entry thoughts of, hey, I can't do it, but go talk to this person. So the second you come into the game, you're supposed to be thinking, all right, I'm a college recruit. I went to Old State. I started three years. If I'm going to be out here starting, I can amass almost a million followers on Twitter. Out of those million followers on Twitter, there's there's all kind of different people from, um, you know, venture capitalists to people who, who just know that work in corporate America, people who have access to, you know, individuals that want to start up different things. You're supposed to be leveraging that and already transitioning into being like, I want to engage these people. I want to talk about things that are outside of football. And, and further, more than anything, you want to get plugged in. You want to be able to reach out to people and do those things. And so not just think about four years from now, any, any uh, idea, any entrepreneur will say the most important thing in the world is what? Is Relation. knowing where to go get people who support you. Right. Your supporters, you don't need 10 million of them. All you need is about a thousand. You might only need 500 if it's the right people. Your job is to start figuring out how I identify those people who do want to help you. And you'll find out doors will open all over different places that you never thought you would have had because you're engaging with them and you showing people I'm more than football, I'm more than this other stuff. And, and when football's over, you, you won't, it won't be a shock. You just be like, this is a transition in which I've already been working on for four years since I got there. Man, first off, man, thank Fire. you so much. Yeah, Fire. absolutely, man. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was fun, man. Thank you so much for joining us. But before we close out, man, give us a message. What's your final words, a message to the people before we get up, before we get up out of here, man? You know, I, I think, um, as a, a, as people and, and whoever sees this, um, just know that it's not about, you know, who, who people validate or whatever. I think everybody has to do their small part. I think everybody has to do and give back in a way that, that they can give back and actually impact the success of other people. I think, you know, Dame Dash says crazy stuff all the time, but he actually says some, some brilliant stuff too. Dame Dash said, you know, when I was at Rockefeller and when I was at different places, I had a mentality that was different. If I can make each one of these people that's in my circle a millionaire, right? Even if I go broke, even if I go broke, that person goes broke, you still got nine other people that can give them $100,000 and they'll be a, still a millionaire. So it, you know, if you set yourself up and you align yourself and always be willing to, you know, wrap your arms around somebody and create a system in your community where it ain't crabs in a barrel. It's my brother right there fell down. He he was a million. Here you go. I gave a hundred. You gave a hundred. He gave a hundred. Now he ain't got to be in the block. He ain't got to be going around trying to think about scheming and scamming. 
we put him right back on. And if we put him back on correctly, he can give that 100,000 back to us with interest, right? As an investment. But if you the only one with the bag, you can't do it. I need everybody. We need, we need more than one person to be successful. So we insulated from taking them type hits where they won't let us get access. They don't want to do this. They don't, nah, let's go ahead and make it to a point where you ain't no cancel. You can't cancel us because guess what? We always going to be here to do pay it forward. And so that could be in your own way. Um, like I said before, mine is just trying to give people young entrepreneurs, young people who want to get a media, how to get into it. What do you need for your equipment? What connections? Hey, do you know somebody at the radio station? Sure, here's an email. Here's this and that. That's my small way. Everybody else has to find their small way. And I think we, we can move forward as a culture. Garrett Bush bars. Garrett Bush, the barbershop meets the black culture podcast. Willie, you got anything, bro? Listen, man, you know, I'm not one to dib and dab after a man just gave a good message. So, you know, I'm the Willie Ashford. My name is Price. And this is the Black Culture Podcast. Peace. Peace.